Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Hi everyone, welcome to Words and Nerds. I'm Alex Duke and today I'm joined by fellow Western Australian crime writer, Dave Warner. Dave is an author, musician and screenwriter. Dave first came to national prominence in the 1970s with his rock album Mugs Game. He has since been named a Western Australian state living treasure and has been inducted into the Whammy Hall of Fame. His talents don't stop there though. He's published six crime novels with Fremantle Press with his 2016 novel, Before It Breaks, winning the Ned Kelly Award for Best Crime Fiction. His new novel, After the Flood, is out in August from Fremantle Press and is his third featuring Broome-based detective inspector Dan Clement. Dave, welcome to Words and Nerds. Uh, Thank you, uh, Alex, and all the Words and Nerdsists out there. Hmm. First of all, Dave, can you introduce us to uh, D.I. Dan Clement? Yeah, well, uh, I'll give you a little bit of the history of how Dan Clement came about might be of interest to some people. I uh, I came up with the idea of doing a, a novel in um, doing a crime novel somewhere exotic in a, in a location. I really wanted to do a location that was kind of a living, breathing character. And I thought, where's unique in Australia that I could do it? And this was in about 2006. And I decided that the Kimberley was a great area. It's unique worldwide and, and it would make a great landscape. Now, it took me um, a good eight years to get around to then actually starting to write the thing. But uh, my initial idea was that I would use, I had this idea of having a crime that was in the Kimberley that went back in the past and had its origins somewhere the complete opposite of the Kimberley. And, and, and in the end, I decided that Hamburg, Germany would be, would be the opposite. And, uh, so I needed that was my just my sort of really broad uh, brush investigation idea, and um, and my first idea was that I was going to use Snowy Lane, who I, who was my main character in City of Light, my first novel set in Western Australia, and Snowy had been really popular, and people were always asking me when's the next Snowy book coming out. So th- that was my first thought, and then as I looked at the sort of novel that I was starting to piece together in my brain, I saw that I needed someone who would actually probably need to be a serving police detective to be able to get around um, finding out past history from Hamburg to what was happening in Broome in in the present day. And so then I had to create uh, whoever my detective hero was going to be. And and I, I really liked the idea from... Uh, Wallander and Henning Mankell, who's one of my favourite crime novelists, and also Dave Robichaux, um, another 
another uh, protagonist in crime literature. I, I like the fact that they'd grown up in small locations their whole lives, and it kind of gave a, an interesting dimension to the books because they had all this past history. They they knew all the people around them, and and um, and uh, you know that coloured their their thoughts about people. And I, I thought that was a really interesting take, and so I thought, okay, I'll have a a broom based detective then, but it, it didn't. It wasn't credible that an ordinary broom based detective would be handling. Uh, murder investigations. So then I needed to construct, I guess, a credible reason why uh, a cop would be uh, invest allowed to investigate homicides in Broome when usually the West Australian Police Force, that would all come out of the homicide department from Perth. And so I created this character, uh, Dan Clement, who I thought, you know, well, what's a reason What's the reason that a that a uh, a cop would be permitted to do this? Well, if he'd shown already in the city that he was an excellent cop, uh, but went back to Broome, then that would give that would that would give a reason. And why would someone go back to a place like that when they're at the top of their game, doing what they liked? And that then came to family. And so I, I guess this all kind of evolved organically. Then that Dan Clement would be a cop who was at the top of his game in Perth, but who had gone back to Broome because um, his family situation had broken down. So he has an estranged wife who goes back at. In the first novel, I've got a daughter who's about um, uh, 12. And uh, so he he wants to try and he's trying to mend those bridges and, and get everything back together again. And, and I thought that was kind of a, a nice dynamic to have. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of cops and, of course, detectives in crime fiction traditionally have some sort of baggage. But I didn't want to make him an alcoholic or uh, give him some curse from the past so much as this kind of romantic longing in a way. And I thought it was really interesting to have this romantic longing to, to put together the perfect family life while at the same time investigating horrendous crime. And, and that's really where Dan Clement came from. And so, uh, and then I fleshed that out. And, and Dan is a cop who heads a very small team of detectives in, the, in, in Broome, but of course covers one of the largest areas it's probably the the biggest police area in the world maybe there's somewhere in um in uh, russia or canada that that compares but it's enormous for for a small police force and uh, and i thought you know that was a a really great and interesting dynamic and very uniquely australian too to have a cop who had to fly you know hours for places to do a little crime and then come back so um so dan's in his 40s now his daughter uh, is around about 15 or 16 at, when we meet her in this third novel, After the Flood, and she's at boarding school in um, Perth. And uh, Dan has not managed to actually uh, uh, win his the, the love of his life back, uh, his first wife. And uh, and so he's, he's trying to uh, navigate after some years the... Uh, yeah, you know, the difficult uh, romantic channels of being a a guy and a um, and trying to find a, a new special person. I guess um, when this when the book starts out, so that, that you know that's where where we find him, and that's kind of um, what he is. He likes music. Uh, he's a big fan of Doctor John the Night Tripper, and um, uh, and apart from that. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a kind of a, a an interesting. He's a fairly intelligent guy, but not he's not a brainiac. He's not a Sherlock Holmes type of person. Um, and 
uh, but and he's somebody who kind of is I, I hope has got a fair bit of humanity about him and 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 is able to see when he's dealing with crime uh, the, inf- the 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 impact on on its victims on the people who are perpetrating it and and on the perhaps the kind of genesis of of why he's there in the middle of this whirlpool yeah i think he um as a character um like you said um you know referred to earlier with detective characters you know uh before we started the podcast we were talking about raymond chandler obviously that's a you know philip marlowe is one very clear kind of archetype but um dan uh is he's you know he's quite different and i think he's um he he he's a kind of close cousin to the detective characters from the Gary Disher novels. I think the Peninsula crime series, I'm thinking particularly as well as the more recent Hirsch ones where they have, you know, they're good people. They've got baggage, but it's not taken to, you know, a kind of a cliched degree. And there's also a bit of a, um, there's a humanity, but a bit of a weariness about it as well about them that they carry around that it makes for it makes for a um you know a very relatable uh very relatable protagonist i think yeah thanks so look i that that's the um hope hopefully it is and and certainly uh male readers and, and i think female readers like dan the feedback that i get is they like him because of that because he is a kind of romantic and um and he he'd love to win the woman back and uh I, and I think that that's kind of a nice notion for somebody. And um, as you say, like it's it, it's a real hazard out there with um, crime people. And I often, when I'm talking, doing a masterclass or something, and talking to new crime writers or aspiring crime writers, I say you've got to be really careful when you create a character. You're not necessarily thinking about a series, but when you go on to maybe do three, four, five, six, seven books with a character, it can become very wearing if they're an alcoholic or a gambler or a sex addict or something, you know, it might, it might seem great in the first book, but by the time you get to book six or seven, the reader's going, oh, give me a break, you know, I'm, I'm over this now, you know, get over it. So, yeah. How do you approach uh, making the setting um, sort of fresh in that same way that you would with a uh, character? Well, one of the things, because I've only done three, uh, I'm fortunate that uh, that I haven't had to worry about it too much. So the first one, I, I had an idea above everything else of the kind of atmosphere and tone I wanted in the book. And I, I'd written a song in my band days called Waiting for the Cyclone, which was this kind of very oppressive, Cajun-y type of feel. And I thought... Um, you know, like if I can get that atmosphere into the book, that kind of oppression of uh, you are waiting for the cyclone and uh, anybody who's lived in the tropics or up in the the northwest or something knows that feeling. So in the first book, I deliberately tried to permeate the book with that on almost on every page. And then in the second book, I set it in a different season um, uh, when it was, uh, you know, sunny and clear and uh, and and in this one, it's uh, it's pretty hot a lot of the time. So, in terms of the actual just dynamic, the climatic dynamics, which are a big part of it, I was able to shift that around. If I was to do it again, you know, you'd be thinking of of something else. But also, this one ended up being quite a bit set in the Pilbara too, which is again slightly slightly different, and uh, a lot of 
a lot of this, the climax of this book is taking place around the Montebello Islands. And, and so um, that was a, a different geographic area. But um, it, it's a, it, it's not, I do think about that stuff. And it doesn't seem to be a problem for some people. For myself, I can read all those Willander novels, and I love the, you know, the the frozen fir forests in winter. Or you know, I could have yeah. those book after book. So it kind of doesn't matter to me. But uh, as a reader, but as an author, you know, I'm kind of aware about that. Um, you know, not not wanting to just repeat the same uh, motif each time. Sure, I must say as well. By the way. Um, you know, if anyone listening hasn't, uh, I mean, it's a great book. Uh, you know, don't get don't get me wrong, but um, if anyone who's listening hasn't seen the cover, the cover is particularly beautiful. The use of color on it. I'm just looking at it now. It's like yeah. it's really it's really really good. Whoever designed that cover, you know, earned their salary that day. Um, yeah, they did so, fabulous. Yeah, yeah, it is a book you can judge by its cover because it's good inside <laughs> and out. Um, so after the flood begins with a rather violent death by crucifixion uh, and goes on to explore uh, the themes of extremism and terrorism, uh, wondering if you could take us through what inspired the, the story. Yeah, it was two kind of different elements, Alex, in a way. I had, um, I had this idea of an opening, almost an opening page, I thought, of a body being crucified to a road and then you think it's dead and then the eyes open and, you know, and I didn't know any more than that. Then there's a truck hurtling at them. And that was really kind of one of the, the first images that I had in this book. And, and so I put that to one side. I thought, oh, great, I'd like to use that and try and find out what's behind that. And then at the same time as I was considering what's the book going to be about, um, there's kind of a, a plethora of Australian crime novels at the moment that, that, that follow a very, very similar uh, thing in that they have a crime. It's a small town. A crime took place 40 years ago or 20 years ago, and uh, in the current day it's, it, it resurfaces in some, in some way and it's got to be solved. And I thought, well, I don't want to do that. I want to do something that's, that's kind of different to that because I've done a little bit of that in Before It Breaks and I just felt that it's... It's very well tilled ground at the moment. You know, I'd be happy to come back and do it maybe in the next one, but just it wasn't. I wasn't in the right headspace for that. And I thought, um, you know, an action, an action thriller would be good. Uh, I wouldn't mind doing something that was still a mystery, still had all the normal for me Dan Clement things of everyday, very mundane worlds, but little things in a small place. And all these pieces add up to something major in the end. And so when I was thinking about that, I thought, okay, well, in the Northwest, you've got lots of things that could be um, major targets for something like a terrorist act. But, but for me, I was acutely aware that I didn't want to sort of leap genres and be doing a spy fiction uh, thing, you know, like it, it, it wouldn't be right. And I didn't want to do a big... Uh, international terrorist plot. So then, then I ask myself, you know, what what are the kind of things, what are the kind of life experiences that would make someone um, make an ordinary, just an ordinary person, an ordinary kind of Australians want to want to carry out an act like that? And so that took me to um, to things like 
uh, industrial, uh, huge corporate industrial disasters. Um, San Marco in, in Brazil's kind of was an obvious touchstone for me that I used early on, but Bhopal, all those things. And I thought, you know, that's a, I can work with that. It's kind of got a very human element. It, it works in the sort of things, the sort of industries that are in Western Australia and in particularly in the Northwest. You know, it doesn't feel that it's transplanted there. It's not, it's not an alien that's, 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 that's arrived in a spaceship or or a group who are out to capture the prime minister on his Northwest tour. So that was the starting point. And, uh, and then I, it just evolved from there and evolved fairly organically as the, as the book went along, you know, I, I bought in different, I started off with one, just one antagonist. Uh, and then I decided that I wanted a bit more complexity in that. And uh, so I bought in a couple more antagonists and, and, and everybody in the, the people who are about to to do these things are all being driven in the end by different different emotions and different psychological forces, but they're all very personal to them, you know. So, um, so I guess that was my approach to it. There must be, um, uh, you know, the the antagonists in this book. They're not sort of loopy cartoons who are, you know, just like pure evil. Um, as you say, they're caught. They're sort of you know, uh, motivation is personal. So that's, you've, I imagine you as the writer have to go on a bit of a journey to not, you know, I, I imagine you don't come out agreeing with them, but you have to sort of understand why they would do it and perhaps to a degree empathise with what they're motivated by, right? Yeah, definitely, yeah. I, I think I think that, the you know, as an author, um, I think it's good to empathise with it. I mean, you, you could do a completely different genre book, but but for this book, it was important to have that that kind of empathy to understand why people would do this. What are you know? What are our human things? What what if that happened to me? How would I react? And and of course, for um, my characters and my investigative characters, especially Clement, it's really important that he has that. It gives him that kind of complexity and that depth of somebody who is pursuing the law is trying to um and and for a long time in this book he doesn't know what's going on it's, it's kind of a hard book to talk about because it's hard to not spoil it you know mm-hmm. um so f- for a long time he's just following what looks like a particularly mysterious and and gruesome crime that looks like it may have something to do with the the victim being on with a couple of different women or maybe being involved in drugs or or something and then this other kind of plot is happening on a different level underneath it that, that comes to the to the surface. But it's really important, I think, for Clement to be that person who can um, fil- filter other people's ideas. And 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 in the end, to me, that that's the stuff that I enjoy about the book. Most of those are personal moments and little, relatively minor characters that you discover along the way that um, that Clement gets to interact with and that shape his life. And, you know, again, I think that's part of our lives, part of my experience that sometimes it's people who you have a, you bump into on, on a, um, in, in a very, very almost superfluous way who can affect you greatly and deeply. And, um, and I wanted to give that Clement that element too. Yeah, that that you're you're quite right. I I remember uh, back when I was about twenty one, you know, backpacking around Europe, staying in various hostels, and 
you know, you, and I mean, you actually, you know, being a musician touring around, you would relate to this, I'm sure. <laughs> Meeting just, you know, ever you meet odd people for like a few hours and you may never see them again, but then you find yourself thinking about them 15 years later, being like, I wonder what happened to that guy, <laughs> how he's doing. You know what I mean? And, oh, um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the power of um, the side character in a, in any sort of story is um, can be pretty pretty uh, uh, pretty useful to make it feel very rich and lived in. I think. Um, so I want to uh, wind back the clock a little bit. So your debut novel that you mentioned, City of Light, uh, which everyone, by the way, co-won the 1996 WA Premier's Book Award for Fiction. So that's pretty good. Uh, is uh, so that book is credited as the first contemporary crime novel published in Western Australia. Now, when I read that, I was like, "Oh, that's uh, that's a pretty that's a pretty cool fact," and you must be pretty proud of that. And dare I say, by the way, um, a big shout out to Fremantle Press, who are massive champions of WA crime fiction. So good for them. But I wanted to ask. Um, so back in. Uh, 1996 or thereabouts when City of Light came out, how receptive were readers to Western Australian crime? It, it, uh, incredibly so. Certainly West Australian readers were, and that was my my prime audience, and, and I guess it still is a very, very large proportion of my audience. But, um, I mean, I... Uh, I didn't know what to expect. Fremantle Press didn't know what to expect when we put it out. But people loved the idea that someone was writing about Fremantle and Perth and, in, in particular, um, I guess, elements and touchstone incidents. Not everyone could relate with people my age, and I was 20, 25 years younger then, um, or <laughs> a little bit more, uh, could relate to. So... I really, when I started to do that book and I thought, what style am I going to do City of Light in? And I decided I would do a, um, a crime book because I thought I could plot things. I'd done enough things to think I can I can plot a crime stuff. And so my best chance of, of doing a novel is to work in that. And uh, we spoke of um, Chandler and I, I really thought that Perth in the 1970s could work very, very as a good parallel to what Los Angeles might have been like in the 1930s or 40s, they weren't dissimilar. They were very dry towns, reliant on cars. People tend to go to bed early um, in them. So there was a kind of uh, some similarities there and political corruption behind the scene, which is always, <laughs> yeah. you know, one of those oh, yeah. classic, classic things in those um, LA crime novels. And, and then in a contemporary, at the time that I'd done this, I'd been reading all the um, James Ellroy things and uh, James Ellroy books. And I love the fact that he took iconic Los Angeles crimes, Los Angeles crimes, and wove this kind of fiction around them that fitted into his plot line. And so okay. I thought, why don't Black I do... Black Dahlia all... is a good example of that. Yeah, exactly. And I thought, you know, why don't I do something like that with Perth because as a kid, you know, I was incredibly emotionally connected to the Eric uh, Cook murders. You know, I, I remember what it was. You're probably a bit young for this, but I remember what it was like to be in your in your room, uh, in your house, and people had never locked their doors and, you know, suddenly they're locking doors and your neighbour would knock on the door and everyone would get tense. So I had this connection with that, um, the Shirley Finn murder uh, and... 
and you know some and and other kind of major crimes. And I thought, why don't I take those? Not those exact crimes, but I'm going to take that those as kind of iconic touchstones, and I'll I'll use that idea so that for people not from Western Australia, it won't mean anything to them. And and the the novel still works very well from people not not from WA, but from Perth people, there is this kind of extra layer to it. And and I think um, people really responded to that well. And and um, and as with Dan Clement now, I did a, a women's a book club function by Zoom the other week. And, and the comment that all the women said was they just love to read about Western Australia and their own experiences, you know. So... Um, so it was it was really well received by readers and, and and some of my rock fans who probably didn't read a lot of books. They went out and bought it and and I think enjoyed it and it's still selling and it's um and people still love Snowy Lane the character. So uh, you know I I got that right. <laughs> you get a lot wrong. You get a lot wrong when you do stuff, but uh, so it's good to get <laughs> right. You know. <laughs> You've mentioned. Um your you know career as a musician i'm wondering if you could delineate the sort of talk about the different creative process for music as opposed to fiction especially because you mentioned earlier the um the song you wrote about the cyclone and how that influenced the tone of your work yeah well i it's it's hard i I don't know kind of what the um the mystical you know mechanics are that, that come about in the creative process for me, obviously, if you're doing a a novel, it's a lot it's a lot longer process. And these days, having done I think eleven or twelve novels altogether now, I'm a lot smarter at kind of plotting out the backbone. But when I did the first novel, City of Light, I approached it like a song in that I I had kind of a, an emotional feeling and a, just a general sense about what I wanted to tell. And I sat down and started writing, which is which is kind of how I work with. Music, I just get this a sound or a phrase in my head. Usually, I get the words and the and the music at the same time, and I'll, I'll start to write generally a verse, but it could be a chorus or it could be a riff or something, and then the song will expand from there. But generally, a song will be, you know, there might be songs that I, I write part of them, and then I come back seven years later and finish them off. But most for me, most of the time, a song is going to be written in a time frame of a couple of weeks at most, and um, and 90% of the song, 80 to 90% of the song is probably written in the first two days, you know, or, or three days, and then it's a matter of, oh, that doesn't work. Whereas with a novel, um, a, a lot longer process and a lot more, um, uh, you know, just technical stuff that you've got to go back. And with, with, a, with a song, there's no, no one's, got the measure, measuring tape out, you know, you don't have to explain yourself at all. But if you're doing uh, a novel or something like that, then uh, there are certain issues of credibility and other stuff that you have to consider and and the tone. So, you know, they're all, all these processes are different. I've written musicals and stuff too, which is kind of in between a bit because you've got a story and I've worked a lot with television and, and film and um, and all of them are different, different processes. Uh, one of the great things when you're playing music, I guess one of the great things is one, it's terrific when if you're working with a band, which I had the pleasure of doing many years and you're working with like, like-minded musicians, 
they all bring something to the table. So you've got this kind of collaborative process, even if you've, you might've done 70 or 80% of the initial part of it, you know, that there's a collaborative process that shapes the thing. Um, but perhaps even more importantly, when, as I say to people, you know, when you write a song and you go out and play it for the first time, you get an instant reaction from the audience that's there. So you go, oh yeah, that worked or it didn't work or it was working well up till there. And that part doesn't, but, with a book, it's you've got to do all this work before you launch it like a, a ship, and then you don't know for ages re really what the feedback is. You know, you, you'll get some people who will get back and say that they like it, and you might get some terrible reviews to say that it's awful and the worst thing that's ever done. But it's really hard to get your head around what, what the reader is out there because you don't have any one-on-one -on -one contact with them, you know? Well, and the reader also has a, a, a very, very different, uh, you know, experience of consuming that um, medium because, you know, so, uh, I mean, you might listen to a song once, but, you know, if it's your favourite song or a song that you're really into at the moment, it's a three-minute song that you might listen to a hundred yeah. times. Whereas a novel is something you might take a couple of weeks to read and, most people, like, you'll probably read it once. Um, you may read it again, but probably not for a few years. So, yeah, it's a, it's a different sort of experience. So speaking about the difference between uh, fiction and music, you, you also mentioned uh, TV, working TV and film. Um, something that comes to mind, well, so, I, an assumption that I make with working in TV and film is that, like music, it's very collaborative. But... I would think as well your because of the cost of filming um you know a tv show or a film is so prohibitively high that that adds another uh, you know very uh, very strong difference to music and yeah fiction. well the i guess the the where um music and say writing fiction are the closest is that i think that they're probably the areas that the writer has the most control over, like um, if you're writing your own music in the for a band and if you're writing your own books, you know, the editor that you have is generally there to help you and, and the publisher doesn't get in the way. Film and television are really different. Like the writer is the, who generates maybe the whole idea that gets people excited is the first person sidelined when there's a sniff of uh, money coming in and it becomes about the director, producer and, and um, everyone else along the line. So it, that can be very frustrating. Uh, and, and if you're working in, in television, you're often working, it's much more a craft-based thing because uh, you, if you're working on big shows, those characters are already established by someone else. Now, you might be lucky enough to get one of your own. I haven't been lucky enough to get one of my own shows with my own characters up and made, and so you have a bit more control in that format, but in the in the big kind of network shows that I was working on, uh, it's very much you've got the characters and you've got 50 scenes to deliver them. So that's a real craft-based thing, you know, rather than inspiration. Uh, and movies, there's a lot of inspiration and a lot of craft, but, of course, as you say, Alex, the cost is so prohibitive that it becomes really difficult. You can work on years of doing movies and and have great scripts that never get made, uh, and uh, and that can be very frustrating. Or if they get financed, you know what what I've found in the three of my movies that have 
been made, there's always somebody there who wants to put you aside and thinks that they know better uh, what you you know what the film should be than what it was that got everybody's interest in the first place. So that is also frustrating. Yeah, I, well, I, I suppose they all they all offer different uh, pluses and minuses. Um, I, yeah. I a question, actually, um, uh, you know, as a you know author, musician, screenwriter. What what do you think of yourself as? What is what would you put at the, the number one in that list when you describe yourself? Uh, just really just a creative person, you know. Like these these days, my energies mainly go um, a, as an author, and that's it's purely the fact that getting older now, um, it's it would be harder anyway. Without COVID, it would be harder to go out and uh, do a whole lot of gigs, and most of my friends who are full-time musicians have suffered dreadfully over the last few years uh, of, and are still suffering in the in trying to, you know, play live gigs. Um, so, look, I, I, I don't think of myself exclusive, exclusively as anything, just as a kind of creative person. I love doing all of those, all of those things I love, uh, and, and all of them at times are difficult and <laughs> frustrating, the same as with any work, I guess. But, um, but these days I... In terms of my time devoted to things, it's primarily uh, author stuff. And uh, and if COVID wasn't around, it would be still probably primarily author stuff, but but not not quite so focused. And um, and film and television, I've got a little film that's uh, has just been has been optioned, and I'm really hopeful that that will will get done and will get made. Um, but those things I kind of look on as bonuses if they happen rather than something that I'm pursuing permanently. Great. Yeah, no, that sounds very exciting. Um, so what what else have you got in the pipeline? Is Dan Clement going to be, I know that he's just, you know, he needs a little bit of a rest because he's just solved a, solved a crime. And, you know, as you said, it's an action thriller. Poor guy needs a break. But will he be making a return? Look, he might be. Um, generally, when I, I write the books, except for the one little Lizard Zerk series that I had where I set out to create, deliberately to create a, a little series of um, of fun detective things. Apart from that, it, it, what happens with me is in my creative process is I get the germ of an idea that I go, I think that would be, what if that happened? That would be great. Or, you know, it excites me. And I go, that would be a great book. So my next thing, which I'm really excited about is my second novel was called um was big bad blood and it was set in 1965 in king's cross and it was a really complex probably the most complex plot wise of all the books that i've done and very dark and i've always hankered to have um those the two main <coughs> detectives ray Shearer and john gordon come back and, and i just for a while i couldn't find anything, you know, I thought, oh, what will I do with them if I did bring them back? And then I, it was uh, five years ago now, um, I had this idea of doing something in the summer of love, 1967, because that's two years on. And so I've got a book that I've been working on and now working with, it's being edited at Fremantle at the moment, called Summer of Blood. And I take those two detectives Australian detectives, and they go to San Francisco at the height of flower power with Country Joe and the Fish and Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix, and I put them into that world as they try and 
search for this Australian guy. And, and so it's this whole kind of clash of cultures and this awakening to that time. And, and because that was a very special time for me, I was 13 and 14 when that was happening and I found that music just so exciting. And so um, uh, that's, that's the next book and that's a, you know, that's a really exciting one. Um, and in the meantime, I've got a couple of other books and ideas that are along the way. And I, I really want to do another Dan Clement one, but I've got, um, uh, you know, it, it will probably be, probably be another two at least in front of it before, before Dan comes back. But I don't want to leave him out there. I like Dan, you know, I have fun <laughs> with him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, Summer of Blood, great, uh, great title. Uh, yeah. no, that's, that sounds, um, that sounds awesome. All right, Dave. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been great having you on the podcast. Uh, looking forward to, well, what's happening, whatever happens next, um, whatever's well, I'll happening. Be in, I will be in Perth in September, I should say, if um, yes. or Western Australia. So I'm doing uh, the Kimberley Writers Festival, which will be great because I've only ever been to the Kimberley for three you know, short trips to Broome and I've been writing about it, so that'll be great. I'm doing the Geraldton Big Sky Festival and the Armadale uh, Writers Festival from sort of so across that month of September. So, fingers crossed, uh, COVID stays away from me and my guitarist Tony Durant. We do a, an hours thing where we play some songs and do and talk about the books and music and all these kind of things. So, and we're doing loads of libraries. Uh, and um, so, anybody in the in the greater metropolitan area will be able to see us. And as I say, in those couple of country places, so I'm really looking forward to that. And hoping everyone out there stays healthy and that we all stay healthy too. Excellent. And I assume people uh, can get uh, more details about that on your website? Yeah, I'll be doing it on the website, Facebook. I've, uh, in fact, have my 15-year-old son at the moment constructing the, uh, <laughs> the artwork. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. He's good for something then, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Awesome. Uh, well, Dave, thanks a bunch. I'll talk to you soon.